Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you all in worship uh, this morning. We continue on in our sermon series titled, Where is God? And this Sunday, uh, we are talking about where is God when I'm suffering? In fact, I, I conspired with the weather today just to add drama to it, you know, to, to set the mood, right? A little bit rainy, a little bit cold. Let's talk about suffering. So as we prepare to do so, please go with me to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and perhaps even in spite of me. And so let the humble words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Where is God when I'm suffering? This is a question that's often asked. We ask this question. Uh, when I'm in any group of Christians and say, hey, just you know, throw out some questions, someone will always invariably ask this question, where is God in the midst of suffering? And we know that there are multiple kinds of suffering, internal, emotional, psychological, and there's the externals, the suffering that happens as a result of wrong behavior, suffering caused by others, attacks, betrayals loss of a loved one, an illness, financial loss, a horrendous tragedy. Where is God in the midst of such suffering? And people will ask, why didn't God stop the Holocaust? Or when there's a tragedy that involves a a child, why didn't God just intervene and stop that tragedy from happening? Some have even said that they've lost their faith as they think about these questions of suffering. And I just want to go ahead and say this morning that I don't have definitive answers. I do have some observations however, and perhaps even a little bit of wisdom sprinkled in, because even as we think about the life of Scripture, Scripture is more about the offering of wisdom than the offering of answers. So here's one observation as it relates to suffering and our interaction with suffering. When we think about the West, particularly the church in the West, uh, one observation I would have is that we are low-key prosperity gospel people universally. Now, I'm not talking about righteous gemstones level prosperity gospel. Uh, see, a few chuckles in there. Y'all know the show. I I'm not talking about the kind of prosperity gospel that we think of when we think of TV preachers in, in shiny suits asking for lots of money that will give helicopters and airplanes and this kind of thing. I'm not talking about that kind of prosperity gospel, but there is this notion that very subtly and easily sinks in to our theology. It says, if I'm being good, 
If I'm doing generally what God expects me to do, then I am going to get good. If I'm good, I'll get good. And, and for people who do bad, well, sure, they'll get bad, but, but I just can't square how bad things could happen to generally good people. Because if I follow God, I ought to be getting some kind of blessing from it. God ought to be blocking for me so that there's nothing that is very negative that happens in my life. Again, this is a low-key prosperity gospel that believes in, in health and wealth and, and wellness. I, I don't need a whole lot of it, God, but I just need a little bit of it. And so then when something happens to me or someone happens some, to someone that I'm close to, I just kind of get a little bit spun out. I, I can't understand where God is in the midst of it. Now, these are questions. We call these questions of theodicy in the theological world, the uh, questions related to, to suffering. Um, questions related to the, the, or suffering or evil, the evil that we do to one another, that, that happens to us. A central question is, how is it possible that bad things happen to good people? Now, we ask these questions in the West much more than in any other part of the world. Why is that? Well, some have postulated that it's because that we are so wealthy. We've got a lot. We spend a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of energy being comfortable. We spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy insulating ourselves from all kinds of suffering, financial suffering, physical suffering related to our health. We, we protect our properties. We protect uh, people who are close to us. We do everything we can to avoid all kinds of suffering. Why? Because we have the means to be able to do so. And so then when all of our work, all of our struggle, all the means fail, sometimes we just we can't understand what's gone wrong. And we turn to God and say, God, why is it? that you would allow me, allow us to suffer to this degree. Why? Why? Now, one might say when you think about uh, suffering, that this suffering, when you think about the, the observable laws that seem to be operative in nature, you, you might say, well, it makes sense. In fact, if you're to read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from the Birmingham jail, which I would encourage you to do, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. says essentially this, that the only way that we can truly know that there's unjust laws is because there is some kind of higher law. There's some kind of eternal law or some kind of divine law. So, so it, it doesn't make it any easier, one might um, derive from reading that letter, it doesn't make it any easier to say, I don't believe in God because there is suffering in the world. It doesn't make it any easier. I don't, I don't believe in God because God allowed for the Holocaust. I don't believe in God because God allows for tragedy of various sorts. It doesn't make it any easier Martin Luther King Jr. would say it, it only makes sense if you believe there's some kind of eternal law. 
That's how we can even be uh, that frustrated with these other kinds of suffering or the other kinds of injustices, injustice that we see in the world. And so the implication is that if there is no God out there, if we're just looking at the natural course of things, well, the natural course of things shows over and over and over that the strong subdue the weak. It's just kind of the way it goes. So why must I be morally outraged if I do not believe that there isn't some kind of higher power, some kind of, of higher law that, that governs things? It's, it's, a, it's a good argument, I think, that Dr. King uh, makes, and I think it's a good argument for us to consider in the life of the church. There is a God that deeply cares. So here's how we know God deeply cares. I've, that's a little bit philosophical before, but let me move into a, a more pastoral place. We know that God cares. Even in the midst of this world that, where there is very real suffering that we experience, that others that we care about experience, we know that, that God cares because God sent Jesus into the world knowing that Jesus would experience the suffering that we experience. Uh, knowing that Jesus would himself suffer. God deeply cares. God is not indifferent to the suffering that we experience. God came into the world in Jesus Christ and voluntarily suffered, voluntarily suffered for our sake. Again, God cares. So I don't know why God hasn't stopped suffering yet. I don't know why, but I can say that I do know that God cares. God is not indifferent. And here's the, the second thing I would say here in this pastoral space, that part of what we long for, when we long for an end to suffering of, of all sorts in this world, part of what we long for is what we have been promised is what the Christian hope and expectation moves us toward, and that is new creation. Uh, we, we talk about it all the time. We, we are an in, in Easter people. We are a resurrection people, and our lives today live in anticipation of the world that is to come when Christ comes again and remakes this whole world, and everything is resurrected, and there will be no more tears. No more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. Scripture indeed says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death and mourning will be no more. All these things will be swallowed up in victory. We long for that which we have been promised. And this is another way where theologically in the life of Scripture that I as a pastor can look at you and say, God deeply cares. God cares so much that God sent Jesus into the world, and God cares so deeply that God will send Jesus again, this time of resurrection. So again, I, I, I can't say why th this has not already happened, 
I can just say that it will. And we hold on to this promise in the Christian life. But I'd like to turn just for a moment and think about suffering missionally for a few moments before the close. And I'll start back here with Psalm 22. Now we read this psalm because we hoped that at least the first verse of it might remind you of another instantiation of this verse in Scripture. Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you left me all alone? Or other translations might say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are words that Jesus offers from the cross. Indeed, sometimes when we suffer, we feel alone. We feel distanced from others. And in ways, we can even feel distanced from God. But what the psalmist does, if we were to continue to read, the psalmist never doubts that there is a God, never doubts that God uh, has the uh, power to intervene. So the, the psalmist simply asks that God will be near. And God is always near to us in the midst of our suffering. Even when we can't perceive it, we know that God is always near us. Now here's the missional move as we think about Jesus. I said earlier, God sent Jesus into the world. God voluntarily suffered. Jesus moving into the world is it's an agreement, it's a decision to voluntarily suffer for the sake of a greater good. Now, not all suffering is meaningful suffering in that kind of way. You can, you can derive meanings as in the midst of suffering. You can develop a wisdom about life in this world in the midst of suffering. But when I talk about meaningful suffering, I'm talking about voluntary suffering for a good that you believe in. And so based on the model of Jesus, based on the model of the disciples, the apostles, so many Christian missionaries and so many who witness to the face of of faith across the centuries of the church's life. When did the church become so uncomfortable with suffering? When did we? Uh, when did the church become about comfort? This, we are a part of a missional movement in the world ushered in by Jesus that says, look, I'm going into the world and I believe that there's a good that is worth working for for the sake of others. And when I count the cost of that good, when I weigh it, I realize that there may be sacrifice. There's often sacrifice when there is something that is so good that you're moving toward in that way. And given the way the world presses back on these greater goods, sometimes there is suffering. And the early members of the church 
these early witnesses that went out into the world according to Acts 1.8 to be Christ's witnesses in all Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These folks understood that there must be, will likely be a certain amount of suffering. When John Wesley got on that horse and rode around proclaiming uh, the gospel and beginning what we think of as the uh, Methodist movement, at times in his journal, John Wesley said, hey, I don't know if I'm doing a good job, God, because everybody's been really happy with me everywhere, and I have not suffered any kind of persecution anywhere. There's this one funny scene where somebody throws a brick at him, and it doesn't hit him, it misses. He keeps on riding along, and he jots in his journal, thank God. I must be doing something good. <laughs> so when did we become more fundamentally about what is comfortable to us, what is secure for us as a, as a Christian people? When did we lose this sense of, of daring as we moved out into the world, knowing that when we work for something that is of a great good, that sometimes the world resists us just as the world resisted Jesus. In fact, Jesus told us that we should expect these things because if the world treated Jesus that, Jesus that way, the world would treat us that way as well. When did the church become uncomfortable with a certain kind of meaningful, at least, suffering? So this is, this is my challenge to you this week, is to think about what is important enough? What is important enough for you to engage in and for us to engage in in the life of the church where the doing of that thing, the, the belief in the, the great good that whatever that thing may entail and mean for others is worth sacrifice and worth potential meaningful suffering to accomplish? Uh, what's What's a vision that is so compelling that you'd say that the, as, we, as you finish the course of faith, that you'd be able to look back on that and say, in the midst of all the good times and even the, the midst of the difficulties, it was worth it. My hope is that everyone would have such a sense of call. We believe that something out there in this world was, was important enough, was good enough for us to work toward fervently enough so that we'd be open to the challenge. We'd be open to the sacrifices and the suffering, knowing that there would be great good on the other side of that for others and for us along the way. I tell you, I um, went to the school board meeting um, uh, this past Thursday because I uh, wanted to speak on behalf of our superintendent of schools, Dr. Nia Hamlet, who uh, many of you know has had uh, some challenges um, here based on a News and Observer article related to her, her dissertation, kind of uh, um, thin accusations that have been made much to do about. So I wanted to, to, to say a word on, on her behalf, but here's why. Because I don't, I just, school board meetings are long. 
uh, and they don't, they don't cool that room because I don't think they want people to actually spend a whole lot of time talking. And so I just, I don't like to go all the time. But here's the reason why I went. It's because this is a person who I know to be a person of deep faith, who cares about our kids here in this school district, who cares about uh, equity, who cares about justice, who cares about the thriving of all our children. And because she believes in that, and because she is a person of faith, she has absolutely counted the cost of the good that she hopes to see in this world. In conversation with her, I absolutely know that she has counted the cost of potential sacrifices and potential suffering for the good of the children who dwell in our Chapel Hill, Carborough schools, and beyond. And so I went because she gets it. She feels that she is in some way on a mission from God in this world. And it means enough to keep at it even when there is some opposition. And I want to support that each and every time I see it. So the challenge again this week is to go home and consider what's something that God may be calling me to? Maybe you or a group that you're with or us even as a church. What is something that's important enough that we stop saying, gosh, you know, why, why does suffering happen in any kind of way? But what's worth it? What is, what is meaningful suffering that's worth it to create a good in this world for others that I'd be willing to stick with it and to journey locking arms with others, believing in the good that God will do because of this faithfulness and with the knowledge that God is with me and with others as we walk toward that good. What is that good that God might be calling you to, that God might be calling us to? In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and for the sake of the world. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you. And we hope to see you soon.